0: Well, we have the honor this morning of hearing from one of our own church members, Ron Proceis. And it is amazing to be able to have him speak and have him as a member of our church. He was ordained as a pastor in 1990, and he has served in that role and as a military chaplain for over 30 years. Um, He and his wife have written two books, um, When Your World Shatters and Stronger, Seven Portraits of Spiritual Fortitude. He's received his MDiv from Western Seminary and his doctorate in expository preaching for Master's Seminary, and so we are just so blessed to be able to have him come and share with us this morning. So, Ron, would you come and bring us the word of the Lord this morning? Thank you.
1: Thank you so much,
0: Ben, and thank you, worship team. Wasn't that a wonderful hymn we just sang? We appreciate your ministry so much. Well, my wife Donna and I moved from California uh, to be in your community a little while ago uh, because of our daughter Anna and her children. And for those of you with grandkids, you know that uh, they kind of trump everything. They trump the weather, they trump the beaches, they, they, they trump everything. We were involved in pastoral ministry in California. And uh, this is a new chapter for us. And so it was very uh, very different for us to, to be looking for uh, a church that was faithful to God's word. And we are so glad that we found uh, this church and uh, its faithful teaching. And what surprised us was uh, the warm welcome of this church family we're so grateful for that we're so so thankful for what God uh, has done and and continues to do here and uh, as a pastor I can tell you uh, and undoubtedly you already know this but how important uh, the pastor the staff the leadership of the church is but what you might not know is What an incredibly demanding ministry that is. And all that's to say is uh, they need your prayers, they need your continued encouragement and support so that together as a church family, we can be the church that God has called us to be. When Pastor David uh, asked me to preach, I was was, uh, thrilled. For this opportunity, he asked me if I'd like to take the next section in the book of Acts, and I thought, how about this? Why don't I instead uh, lead us into a consideration of the life of Peter, since he plays such a prominent role in the first part of Acts? Let's take a look at his life, and that may give us an even better appreciation for uh, this book. So as we do that, will you uh, join with me in prayer? Father, we are so thankful for your goodness to us because of Christ. We are so thankful that in him we have every spiritual blessing. We we are so grateful. And Lord, as we continue our worship now through the proclamation of your word, we pray as the psalmist... That you would open our eyes that we may see wonderful things in your word. We pray that we would see Jesus and hear his message to each one of us through his living and active word. And it's in his name we pray this. Amen. What comes to your mind when you think of? Peter in God's Word. You probably think of the impulsive, impetuous disciple whose life was inconsistent, who failed time after time, the one who even denied knowing the Lord. All of that is true, but there is far more to his life. Listen to what the Lord says about Peter. In Luke chapter 22, after the Last Supper, he said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. This is fascinating The Lord knew that Peter is going to sin and sin greatly, and yet he lets him fail. Why? And more than that, Jesus tells Peter that he is going to use him to be the one to strengthen his brothers. Does that make sense to you? That the Lord would choose the one who greatly failed him to be the one to minister to his disciples. This is so important to understand. And to do that, we have to go all the way back in Scripture to the very first mention of Peter. Turn with me to John chapter 21. Now, Peter is a fascinating individual. In fact, after Jesus, Peter is mentioned in the Gospels more than anyone else. And there is an important reason for that let me show you chronologically John chapter 1 is the first mention of Peter in scripture Peter's brother Andrew has already come to faith in Christ and the first thing that Andrew does is tell Peter look at verse 41 Andrew found first his own brother Simon and said to him we have found the Messiah which translated means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. Cephas is Aramaic for the word rock, and Petros, Peter, is the Greek word for rock. So why does Jesus do this? Why does he give Simon this new name, Rock? It's because of the great transformation that the Lord would work in his life. And it's significant that before Peter does anything or even says anything, the Lord is the one who first acts. We see this time and time again in Scripture. We love because he first loved us. This new name Peter would be a continual reminder of Christ's purpose for him. He would be a man who by God's grace would be rock-like, strong, and firm. Now, what's interesting in the Gospels is that sometimes the Lord calls him Peter, and other times he calls him Simon, his old name. You know why? Because so often Peter was acting like his old self. Now turn to Matthew chapter 4. This is the next time chronologically that Peter appears in Scripture. And here we learn his occupation. And more importantly, we learn of the Lord's plans for him. Verse 17. Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea. For they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Now, if you were just reading through Matthew, you might wonder at this, wait a minute, Peter is leaving his occupation, he's leaving his work just because someone shows up and says follow me? But as we just saw, John, who was also called in that passage, verse 21, he lets us know what happened first, that Peter had already encountered Jesus And then, starting with the next chapter, Matthew 5, we understand what Jesus was preaching in verse 17, what it means to repent, what this good news is in following Christ. It means, verse 3, to come to terms with the reality that you are poor in spirit. You are morally bankrupt before God. Because of your sin. And you have no resources at all to pay for this massive debt that you've incurred. Because of that, verse 4, you mourn over your sin. And so, verse 5, you are meek, humbly submitting yourself to God. It means, verse 6, that you hunger and thirst for what you know without, you will spiritually die. You need righteousness. And so you hunger and thirst for it above anything else. This is the beginning of the first sermon of Christ that is recorded in the New Testament. And Peter was right there. He heard all of it as verse 1 tells us. Now here's what's interesting as we continue to connect the dots in Scripture about Peter. Turn to Matthew 8. In verse 14, Matthew records that the Lord comes to Peter's home and his mother-in-law is lying sick in bed with a fever. All Jesus does is touch her hand and the fever immediately leaves her. And then verse 16, that evening, many others were brought to Jesus, those who were demon-possessed, those who were ill, and everyone was delivered, everyone was healed. Now this is peter's home he has already heard the gospel in the previous chapters that matthew records and now he sees this amazing miracle but there is no record yet of peter saying anything so far andrew talks john talks philip talks nathaniel talks but not peter you know why that's so surprising It's because Peter says more in the Gospels than any other disciple. But not yet. And when he finally does say something, oh, it will be very significant. Turn to Luke 5 to see it. Jesus is teaching the crowd in this passage, and Peter is there with his partners, They've been fishing all night, and now they are cleaning their nets. Jesus gets into the boat to get some more space from the people who are crowding around him in order to teach them more effectively. But Christ has another reason for this. Look at verse 4. When Jesus finishes his teaching, he tells Peter, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Now, Peter has to be exhausted, so tired after fishing for hours and catching nothing. As an experienced fisherman, he knows that what Jesus is saying is completely wrong. You don't catch fish this way. It's the wrong time and deep waters. Well, that's just the wrong place. But Peter obeys. And catches such a huge amount of fish that the nets begin to break. And they need help to haul it all in. Now look at what Peter does. So significant. Verse 8. He falls to his knees before Christ and he cries out, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Why does he say that? Up to now... Maybe Peter thought Jesus was a teacher, a very good teacher, a prophet, maybe even the Messiah sent by God, but still a man. But now Peter suddenly realizes that Jesus, wow, he is something much, much more. Only God could do this miracle, and he, Peter, is standing right Before him. So Peter confesses his sinfulness, calling him Lord, Master. In this passage, Peter finally speaks, and his are words of repentance. He does exactly what Christ teaches in the Sermon on the Mount. He confesses his spiritual poverty. He falls on his knees in mournful brokenness over his sin. And he meekly calls Christ his Lord, his master. And Jesus, knowing that Peter is hungering and thirsting for righteousness, says to him, verse 10, I love this, Do not fear. Do you realize how significant that is? It's significant because sinful man has every reason to fear before a holy, righteous God. Fear of condemnation, fear of punishment, fear of eternal death. But Christ says, do not fear. Why? Because Jesus came to this world to take the punishment, the condemnation, the death that we deserve to bring salvation for all who trust in him as lord and savior there is now no condemnation there is now for us no reason to fear that is the transformation of grace bringing forgiveness to the guilty bringing righteousness to the disobedient bringing life to the dead But that is just the beginning. Now understand this, nothing needs to be added to salvation. On the cross, Jesus said, it is finished. It's complete. It's paid in full. Everyone who trusts Christ is completely delivered out of the kingdom of darkness and now is in the kingdom of light, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of Christ. And that begins a life of learning to live as a citizen, a member of that kingdom. That begins the process of spiritual growth. And what we see in Peter's life is so, <laughs> its so much like you and me, right? There's obedience, but there's also failure. There is trust in the Lord, But there is also self-sufficiency and doubt. There is faith. But yes, there is also questions and doubt. There is progress, but there are also setbacks. That's why the Lord has given us in his word this man Peter as an example of spiritual growth because there are times... Like Peter, when you and I just don't do so well in our walk with the Lord. There are times where we disobey. There are times where we fail the Lord. In fact, turn to Matthew 16 to see one of those times. This is a key portion of scripture. The Lord is with his disciples and he asks them this all-important question. Verse 15. Who do you say that I am? Remember in school when the teacher would ask the class a question and remember thinking that, you know, it's probably best to let someone else answer that. That's called playing it safe. But men and women of faith don't do that. No, they don't play it safe. They take the initiative and that's what we see here and time after time with Peter, whether it's asking Christ if he can get out of the boat to walk on the water with him, or asking Jesus about something, or answering his question, Peter takes the initiative. He steps out in faith. So Peter answers, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. This is massively important a son has his father's nature so peter is saying that yes jesus is the messiah the one promised from the old testament prophecies the one who has the very nature of god and the one who has the nature of god is god verse 17 And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Now, as I pointed out, the name Peter in the Greek, it's the Greek word petros, which is actually a small stone. The word rock in verse 18 is a different Greek word. It's a massive, immovable bedrock that's used for the foundation of a building. The Lord is telling him that this revelation that he just declared, that the Father gave him, this bedrock truth of who Christ is will be the foundation of his church. Christ builds his church on those who make Like Peter, this great confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Savior, the Son of God. And then the Lord says, And the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. This is astounding. The Lord says to this ordinary flawed, weak man, You, Peter, are going to preach the message that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God. That message of who I am and what I will do will bar the gates of hell and open the gates of heaven. This miracle of pulling in the great catch of fish was exciting, but this... Wow, this is incredible. There is no greater miracle than seeing someone delivered from death to life, seeing someone whose life is transformed by the grace of God. You and I share in this. You and I have been given by Christ the keys of his kingdom, the good news that Jesus... Opens heaven to everyone who believes in him. Amazing. But it's right here with Peter that you see the danger that we all face, the danger of pride. Look at verse 21. Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed. And be raised up on the third day. So Peter hears that. And what does he do? Well, he has basically two options. If he understands that this is God's plan for Christ to bring salvation, then he can respond with thanksgiving and praise, right? Wow. Lord, this is amazing. You are going to do this to accomplish salvation. Or option two, if Peter doesn't understand that plan, he can simply ask for more explanation. So Peter's got two great options. (laughs) Which option does he choose? (laughs) Neither. Verse 22, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him saying, God forbid it, Lord. This shall never happen to you. This is astounding. Peter confesses Christ as the very Son of God, and then he turns around in the next moment and says, no, Lord, you don't know what you're talking about. Peter actually rebukes God. I'm sure he had good intentions, but that is how dangerous pride can be, thinking that you are doing something good, something right, When actually you are doing something very wrong. Peter's obstructing Christ from the very thing that he came to do. So it's time for another important lesson for Peter. Verse 23, the Lord says to him, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. Wow, that is a severe reprimand. That is the danger of pride, the danger that you and I face all the time. Peter needed to understand this. He needed to understand his vulnerability, that his pride could be used by Satan in his life and in his ministry. Like you and me, Peter needed humility. Now, confrontation and correction, that's a hard thing to experience, right? This must have been humiliating for Peter, especially in front of all the other disciples who were watching this. It's so easy to get defensive, to not hear the truth that someone is telling you, to downplay what you have said or done. But listen, when that happens to you, when the Lord is correcting you in his word or when a friend is loving you enough to bring you correction, do you know what is really happening? God is giving you a test. Listen to Proverbs 9, verse 8. Do not rebuke a fool or he will hate you. Rebuke a wise man and he will will love you. Are you wise or are you foolish? Well, this is a very simple way to find out. It's revealed in your reaction to correction, whether you respond with pride or with humility. And you know what? Peter passed the test. Time after time, he passes the test. I searched in scripture and could not find one time here or anywhere else where the Lord or someone else rebukes him. And Peter gets defensive or argued or downplayed what he did. In fact, one time in Galatians 2, the apostle Paul rebuked him in front of everyone. That must have been humiliating. But Peter listened. Peter had humility. You know why the Lord would be able to use Peter the way he did when he had so many flaws, so many failings? This is why Peter had humility. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 5 to hear what Peter himself says about this. This is crucial. The importance of humility cannot be overstated. You see, you may be a very blessed and gifted person. You may be a great student of God's word and have lots of knowledge. You may have tremendous abilities, but without humility, you have a huge problem in your life. Huge. Peter explains that in 1 Peter 5. He says, look at verse 5, all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. You need to understand that humility was not valued in Peter's day, just like humility is not valued in our day. Humility was seen as weakness. It was despised, just like... As in our day, what is valued is pride, self-esteem, self-fulfillment, self-confidence, not humility. Humility is contrary to fallen man. But you need to understand, as Peter goes on to write, verse 5, for God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. Wow. You can either... Receive grace, or you can have God opposing you. It's your choice. And it depends on this, whether or not you are humble. That is why the Lord could use someone like Peter, who stumbled and who sinned. It's because he was humble, and the Lord just kept giving him more and more grace. And then the Lord used Peter to be an instrument of his grace to others. Now at this point, you could be thinking, well sure, that's great to receive grace. But the way that, that I have failed, honestly, it's in a whole different category the way that I have sinned, the way that I have failed is disastrous. What hope could there be for me? Well, that's where, again, you and I, by God's grace, can find great encouragement in the life of Peter. Despite his self-confidence, despite his good intentions, we read that Peter failed Immensely, he told Jesus this, even though everyone else might fall away, I will never fall away. And then what happened? He denied that he even knew Jesus, not once, but repeatedly. Turn to John chapter 21. This is such an important scripture. I'm so glad this is in God's word. Coming to the last chapter of John, Jesus has been crucified, he's been buried, he's been uh, raised back to life, all to be that sacrifice for sin to bring God's salvation to all who would believe. What glorious, great news. But something is not right. There is this matter of Peter's great failure. So here's the question, not just for Peter, but for you and me. When your relationship with God is not the way that it should be, because of sin, because of neglect, because of some failure, what is the Lord's attitude toward you? Is he angry? Is he exasperated? Does the Lord reach a point where He's had enough of your sin and your failure? Well, the answer is found here in John chapter 21. In verse 3, Peter says, I am going fishing. The way the Greek reads, Peter is saying more than, I'm going fishing this morning. There's a finality in these words. He's saying, I am going back to being a fisherman. I wasn't so great as an apostle. You all know that, and maybe that's not for me, but there's one thing that I can do, and that's fish. And remember that the other disciples hadn't done so well either. They also boasted with Peter that if they had to, they would die with Jesus. But when Jesus was arrested, what happened? They all fled. So verse 3, they said to him, we also will come to you. This is a big group of failed men. But they fish for hours and they catch nothing. What a great picture of the results of disobedience. Christ will allow you and me to experience the consequences of our disobedience. The dissatisfaction, the emptiness, the futility. Verse 4. But when the day was now breaking, Jesus stood on the beach. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. This is so good. When their relationship with the Lord is not what it should be, who is it that takes the initiative? Is it Peter? Is it the disciples? Oh, no. It's Jesus. So verse 5, Jesus said to them, you do not have any fish, do you? Wow, this is like rubbing it in. <laughs> they answer no, and maybe a few words under their breath that aren't recorded here. But do you see what the Lord is doing? He leads them to acknowledge their failure. He wants them He wants to hear them say that this is where their disobedience had led them confession must come before forgiveness and restoration and you know the story verse six jesus says to them cast the net on the right hand side of the boat and you will find a catch and the lord again works a miracle but there's a greater miracle that follows it's the miracle of restoration verse 15. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon son of John, do you love me more than these? This verse is full of significance. As pointed out, when Jesus calls him Simon instead of Peter, it's usually because he's been acting like his old unregenerate self instead of his new self. And do you remember the last time that Peter was by a fire? John 18, Peter was warning himself by a charcoal fire when he denied the Lord. And here, by another charcoal fire, Jesus asks him this question. Do you love me? Do you love me more than these? Meaning the fishing, the boats, the nets, your old way of life. Do you really Love me more than you love your own way, your own desires, and all your stuff. Do you love me more than anything else, Peter? Do you know why love for the Lord is the greatest commandment? Love for the Lord is the greatest commandment because everything else flows out of it. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So obedience flows out of love. Scripture says, serve one another in love. Galatians 5, so ministry flows out of love. Scripture says, 2 Corinthians 5, that the love of Christ compels us as his ambassadors. So evangelism flows out of love. Scripture says, love rejoices with the truth. So joy flows out of love. That is why Jesus asked, Do you love me? Because this is the supreme issue for Peter and for you and me. Peter must have already been grieved at the state of his relationship with Christ, and now that has multiplied exponentially as Christ says, Do you love me? Verse 15, Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Peter's answer sounds good, but what Peter has done here is he's changed the word. Jesus uses agapao, the greatest love, but Peter uses a different word for love, phileo, which is the love of affection. So Peter is hearing Jesus say, Peter, do you supremely love me? And Peter answers, Lord, you know that I have an affection for you. Why does Peter do that? Because he has been humbled. He is broken. Peter isn't boasting anymore about his great love for the Lord, about being willing to do anything for the Lord, even die for him. No, Peter has been humbled. He doesn't claim any more supreme love for Christ. He only claims the lesser love of affection. So Peter, in effect, is saying, Lord, my love for you, I know it isn't what it should be, but I do love you. So verse 15, Jesus says to him, Tend my lambs. Amazing. Jesus restores Peter even with his less than perfect love. And he no, not only restores Peter, but he recommissions him to ministry. He says, Care for my lambs, the youngest, the weakest, the most vulnerable. Build them up in grace just as I have built you up in grace. This is wonderful. But the Lord is not finished, verse 16. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Again, phileo, you know that I have an affectionate love for you. Jesus said to him, shepherd my sheep, take care of my sheep. This is so significant in many ways, and one of the ways is to understand there are so many people who talk about loving Christ and yet have no involvement at all with his church. But Christ says that love for him is expressed how? In loving commitment to his sheep. Do you love, do you love me? Then love my people. Love my flock. Be committed to them. Then verse 17, Jesus questions Peter yet again. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Three times Peter denied Christ. Three times Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? But this time Jesus doesn't use the word agapao, the supreme love. This time he drops down. He says the word that Peter has been using, phileo, Simon, do you really even have an affectionate love for me? Because your behavior doesn't support even that level of love. What the Lord is doing is, He's going deep into Peter's heart. This is painful. This is corrective surgery. But it is necessary for Peter to come to terms with his disobedience, his self-confidence, his pride. Verse 17, Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Tend my sheep. You realize, don't you, That it's not just Peter that the Lord is restoring. Peter is the representative leader for all of the disciples. They have all failed Christ. They have all sinned. They have all disobeyed him. And the Lord's heart is to restore them. To restore all of these disciples. Including you and me as well. So... In this sermon, I hope you have seen much more than the life of Peter. I hope you have seen Jesus, the one who loved Peter and transformed his life, the one who loves you and by his power is able to transform your life. So if we have as we have considered what the Lord is telling us in his word, let me ask you, where are you? Have you come to Jesus like Peter in Luke 5, confessing your sin to the Lord and receiving his forgiveness? Has your life been transformed by his grace? If you haven't, today can be that day. Today can be the best day of your life if you come to him trusting Jesus as your Lord and Savior just like Peter did. If you have come to Jesus and have a relationship with him, then you're at that second point just like in Peter's life where his grace, the grace of Christ is continuing to change you so that like Peter you are continuing to grow in your relationship with the Lord. In fact, that is the, the last encouragement that Peter gives in Scripture. 2 Peter 3:18, grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So if that's where you're at today, keep growing in the grace of Jesus. Keep getting to know him better through his word, his living and active word that he has given to you to speak to you. John 10, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. But maybe today you're at that third point, needing restoration. Maybe like Peter, you have failed, you have sinned. And maybe your relationship with the Lord is not what it should be. If that's the case, then know this. The Lord's great heart is to restore you. His love, His mercy, His grace to you is so great, so abounding, so faithful. As the psalmist said, you, O Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. Let's pray. Father, what a joy it is to look at the life of Peter and to see in him such a vivid picture of your grace, a testimony of how you transform a life from darkness to light, from sin to righteousness, from self-centeredness to love, from weakness to strength. Oh, may you do this marvelous work in our lives as we respond like Peter with humility, knowing that you have promised to give grace to the humble. May your grace and peace be ours in the fullest measure. And as Peter said, may the God of all grace who called us to his eternal glory in Christ, may he perfect confirm, strengthen, and establish us for his great glory and for our great joy. Amen.